Whether it's dismantling the fossil fuel industry, creating a solar-powered utopia, or simply desiring to hear more birds in the sky than planes, this is Idealistically, a podcast where we discuss what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. Hello and welcome to a very special live episode of Idealistically. I'm so excited that this year I was invited to speak at Cheltenham Literature Festival and was able to invite along a guest that I have admired for a really long time. I'm even more happy that I was able to record the episode so you can enjoy it too. It's such a lovely, wonderful episode and I think hearing the audience applaud and laugh along the way just makes it even better. I definitely didn't think I would be doing a live episode so soon into this podcast but I'm just really fortunate that I was able to have this opportunity and share the stage with someone who I really hope you enjoy listening to. As always, all the important stuff that is mentioned in this episode will be in the description, including a very special book that I all think you should get your hands on, written, of course, by today's amazing guest. So let's jump into it, the very first live episode of Idealistically. Good. Your brother made this. He did. My brother made this music, so big up my brother. <laughs> <laughs> um, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. This is Idealistically, which is my podcast. My name is Tommy Gregory. Most people call me Tolly. Um, I'm 21, and I am a climate justice activist and an artist, and I'm from Cheltenham, so my walk here was very short. Um, as this is being recorded, we are at the Cheltenham Literature Festival at the Voice Box pop-up, which is very exciting. A little bit of background about why I started the podcast and why I started Idealistically. It was an idea that came to me during the pandemic in lockdown, and I realised that as a person within the climate space who cares about the planet, that we do a lot of talking about what we're fighting against rather than what we're fighting for. And as much as that's so important to, you know, go to protests, shout about what we care about, it's also really important to talk about what we actually want after that, what happens next, what is going to be there in our ideal world. So that is what Idealistically is. It's the podcast where we talk about what we would idealistically want in an ideal world. And today I'm really excited that I have a guest with me who I've known for many years and I respect their work so much and I've learned so much from them. On my podcast, I like to get all my guests to introduce themselves. So would you like to do that? <laughs> sure. Um, my name is Asha Barber and I am a writer and um, I met um, Tolly and the Instagram space because uh, we both think that fast fashion isn't really good for us. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for the people. And we became friends through a collective wanting to create space on Instagram where people aren't being sold new things every single moment. And uh, we've had a lot of fun getting to know each other because the thing about this conversation is that it it doesn't have to be unfun. Actually, we have a lot of fun talking about sustainable style and learning new ways to reinvent things that we already have in our wardrobe. And I think we just want that for everyone. And when it comes to the climate emergency, obviously a lot of the things that we're facing are big and scary issues, 
but the fashion industry accounts for a portion of that. And so if there's one thing that I think that we can all sort of really get into and sink our teeth into it, it's this conversation. I think we can all find things that we can do to sort of lessen the burden of the current fashion industry. And so that's what we aim to do. Yeah, amazing. And obviously we're at the Literature Festival. You have a new book out, your first book, Consumed, The Need for Collective Change, which goes into the fashion industry, colonialism, the climate crisis, everything that's connected. What I like to do to start off is to get a feel for where we're at at the moment, because when we care about the planet, it can. there's a lot of ups and downs. Some yeah. days we have good days, some days we have bad days. So at the moment, whereabouts are you? Do you find it easy to envision an ideal world or is it a bit trickier at the moment? I know what the ideal world looks like and I can envision it, but the barriers that we have are still there. And I've just come from uh, the TED Climate Countdown Conference, which was in Edinburgh. I actually came from there today. I have to say there's still not enough people in the room that aren't getting that their business model of a constant extraction is a huge part of the problem. They want to come to the conference. They want to talk about the solution without changing thing from, things from the ground up. And um, there was some actions to hold people to account and I thought that that was good. That gave me hope. Happy to briefly talk about that because it's something that has brought me hope that in the past day, really. It was seeing um, a fellow youth climate activist be able to share the stage with the CEO of Shell, yes. the fossil fuel company. And it was just one of the most moving things I've ever seen was seeing her just be so honest about Shell's impact, stating the facts to the CEO in his face, being very vulnerable and emotional about it. Um, and, you know, just calling it as is, Ted was an evil let, man. Ted was going to let him sit up there and lie. And yeah. I'm tired of the lies. I am tired of it. There's too much at stake. I am done with it. And so <laughs> it's time for us to get real about who is doing the damage and who needs to stop what they're doing immediately. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I think that brings us both a bit of hope is just seeing people actually call it out as it is. So let's do some a little bit of imagining. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you envision an ideal world? Yeah, close your eyes. What is it? <laughs> the joy. The joy that we have in this current world. And I know that it's been a really tough time, so we haven't had as much joy as we all deserve. But there's still joy everywhere I look and connecting with people and, you know, a lot of what we do on social media, even though we tell hard truths can also be quite joyful. There's nothing like making a company worth billions of dollars have to apologize for lying to the general public. I, I get a lot of joy out of that. <laughs> <laughs> if you do it for any reason, do it for spite. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've done similar things, like sitting in uh, the local H&M window with a th mm. uh, thing which said, fuck H&M on it. That was joyful. I that was pretty freaking joyful. I, I, that, and that came in my feed. It brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> I thought, yeah, you know, I, 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 I really appreciate just the work that you do. And I think that there's something really beautiful about it. And so, yeah, I think we, we can have a lot of joy in these conversations. It doesn't all have to be doom and gloom. You know, we can talk about it. Mm -hmm. What's an example of joy and what it looks like in your life? Mm, joy. Let's see. Joy is laughing with a friend over a cup of tea. Joy is sitting in a room with people and sharing imaginative, hopeful thoughts for a future that we all want. Uh, joy is being reuni reunited with friends that you've not seen for years. 
there's so many small joys. Joy is when my cat comes and cuddles with me for no reason at all. And cats, man, you take it where you can get it because they don't, they don't, they don't dish it out all the time. So get it where you got it. I'm, I'm a cat lover too, so I'm very much. A- you know what? I'm a reluctant one. <laughs> I love mine, and some days we both they have, love me too. I have a family cat who's also a black cat, and I feel mm-hmm. like black cats they just have their own very special kind of energy. And that's one way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Black cats. <laughs> So this is a question which is often like quite tricky for my guests, which is what would you keep from this version of reality for your ideal world? Because it can be tricky when we get caught up on all the bad things. What would I keep? Um, The things that you do with friends that don't involve constant consumption, Mm -hmm. you know, going to a museum, witnessing some art, um, going for a walk in the park, things that don't actually involve any sort of transaction because we, with the system of extraction, I find we tend to substitute things that shouldn't be transactional as transactions. And I think the joy of getting back to self care without the materialism tied to it, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's another thing that happens on social media, something like self care comes about buying this and buying that and buying, you know, and, that doesn't always have to be what self-care is and it shouldn't be what it is. So, you know, fulfilling self-care without transactional consumption, I think is something beautiful that I would keep from this world. Yeah, definitely. I feel like you've touched on themes about that in consumption, obviously, in your book. And something I've mentioned before on my podcast is like having memories of growing up and like some of the strongest memories I have with like my older sister are like going shopping. And I'm yeah. like, now I think about that, I'm like, oh, kind of wish that wasn't the case. But you know, you know why that's like that, though. Like, if you look at our society, particularly like media and films, like the idea of shopping as a part of our culture is pushed on us through every element. You see it in all of my favorite movies. Um, you know, Pretty Woman, big mistake, huge. You know, she's got those shopping bags, and there's this real idea that if you buy all the stuff that person over there will treat you differently. That person will respect you more. That person will fall in love with you. And I think we internalize that from a very young age because that's what we see, Mm -hmm. but that's not really the reality. And that's not the world that we need to live in because we have to be able to find our, our joy without transactions, you know? Yeah, definitely. So talking more about fashion and consumption and getting more into things you cover in your book as well, how do you think fashion can lead us towards a better version of the world and how that kind of ties into, you know, the links between colonialism and climate and why fixing fashion can also help us with those issues? Yeah, so communities. I, I, you know, I'm from the US, but obviously in the UK, school uniforms, right? It's something that most parents have to deal with. And it's one of those things where, we should really have a school uniform recycling system for like every school system. We should, you know, teach kids how to repair things. You know, we should really form communities surrounding some of these issues. And that can also be a really beautiful thing. I grew up in a really like community oriented space. So that's always sort of in the core of what I do. And I think that you can find community in so many places, but 
the fashion conversation is a great place to look for it. And so community is something that I would, I would really stress. I mean, my sister is in Brooklyn and she got really into her buy nothing group during the pandemic. And like, now she calls me because she wants to talk about how she got some kale from her buy nothing group. And I'm like, great, you know, but she's into it. That's great. And also the idea of, you know, passing down clothing, passing it to friends right now, we have a system where when we clean out our closets, a lot of us turn to the charity shop. But in actuality, when I was moving over here, I had to I had to decrease my possessions by a lot because we live in a pretty small London flat. And I had to like go around and sort of find friends and say, you know, this jacket's too small for me, but I think it would look really good on you. And that process of extending the life of my clothing almost brought me closer to some people. And sometimes I'll see like someone take a picture and something on Facebook and I'm like, yeah, that's mine. And I love that. It's great. But on that was also how I grew up. I, I wore a lot of hand-me-downs. And one of my friends on Facebook, who I've not seen in 15 odd years, posted a picture of herself as a child wearing these like pink dungarees. And I said to her, I think I got those when you were done with them. And sure enough, I went in the family photo album, found the picture and shared it and was like, see, there's something that we've gotten away from connecting with our clothing. Mm -hmm. And that's because the supply chain that we currently deal with, especially if you go and buy from a lot of the stores, it can be as long as 50 people, which means that we don't have a connection to the makers anymore. And I think we need to get back to that when you are slowing down and starting to like really invest in companies that you can believe in, you actually form a bond with the people that make your clothing. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. Like my suit is Emperor's Cloth and they're great. They reclaim vintage fabric and then they can make you whatever you want out of it. So I could have gotten dungarees or a tea dress, but I opted for a suit because I've never had one and why not have a mint green one? But yeah, this is vintage fabric from the eighties. And there's something beautiful about picking out and really waiting for something and being excited about it, but also, you know, getting to know a company in a way where you understand what their mission is and what their goal is. And we've gotten away from that. So I think it's time for us to get back to that. Mm, definitely. I think that like slow, more considered approach obviously can then apply to the rest of our lives as well and how we consume other things. So yes. it's definitely an important point. Um, just for people who maybe are less in the know about fashion, obviously we're quite clued up. We've been talking yeah. about this stuff for years. <laughs> Can you give like a brief overview about how fashion is so tied to climate and some of these issues that we want to get rid of in our ideal world? Yeah. So I was talking about fashion for a long time in one column, and then I started to talk about race and feminism and a lot of the other issues in another column. And then I went, oh, hold on. These all tie in together. And that's how my platform started to grow. And what you need to know about the modern fashion system is that it is largely a system that craps on non-white people. When we think about who makes the clothing, think about anything that you've bought that hasn't been made in this country. And if you think about who made that item, there's a very good chance that they're non-white and they live in the global south. There's a very good chance that the resources that went into that item were brought to you by a country that is not getting a fair deal for those resources. These are resource and labor rich countries that are economically disadvantaged and they shouldn't be. So obviously we need to fix these systems because 
this is not fair. And then, of course, at the end of our life cycle, this is the other part that people don't always know, we donate our clothing. And that is becoming quickly not very charitable at all. Because at the rate at which fast fashion has sped up in the last 20 years, it is actually becoming an ecological crisis in the clothing, in the, in the countries that receive the clothing. So there's a very good chance that when you donate your clothing, 10% of it is probably going to get sold. And the other 90%, if it's in bad shape, it'll get landfilled, which is its own issue. And if it's not in terrible shape, it might get packed up and it might get sent back to the global south. And it might end up in Rwanda or Kenya or Ghana. And Ghana in particular, Cantamanto, is home to arguably the world's biggest secondhand market. But the rate at which the clothing is being received to the tune of 15 million items a week means that they're not selling that. When you think about their population, there's no way. And so the clothing has become an ecological crisis. It has filled up the municipal dump years in advance. It, like years the dump has actually caught on fire and it's been on fire for quite a long time it ends up in the oceans it washes up on the beaches it pollutes the water and that's another thing if these clothing items are polluting the water your skin is actually a living organism you're wearing that on your body as well so it is causing all sorts of issues and in general i think no matter who you are at whatever income level you're at, we can all probably stand to just slow down. Now, different people are going to be able to do different things. Some people aren't going to be able to just go, right, I'm quitting fast fashion. I get that. But the average consumer currently buys 68 items of clothing a year. That's a lot of clothing. And I know everybody has the temptation to go, not me, not <laughs> me. And I thought that too. And then I thought back upon the years when I was actually really into it. It was me. It was definitely me. And um, I think we need to start being more honest and thinking about how these purchases actually have impact, you know, because we've, we've started to replace our joy with consumerism, mm. you know, I, and I, I did it for many years, you know, I'm having a bad day. I guess I'll go shopping. I'm having a good day. I guess I'll go shopping. I have a job interview, better get something new. I'm going on a date. Yeah, I'll go and get something, you know? And so when we really sort of start to quantify how much we're buying and think about it from the perspective that no matter what the price tag is, somebody always pays the price. We talk about affordability, but the item of clothing that costs five pounds is only affordable to the consumer. It is not affordable to the person who grew the cotton. It is not affordable to the person who made the garment. It is only affordable to the consumer. Mm. And it's not really affordable to us because it's trashing our planet and filling our oceans with microfibers. So that's the harsh news, but <laughs> let's, let's, bring it, let's bring it up a notch to some more joy. <laughs> I was aware of what happens to charity shops, but uh, donations, but then that whole bit in your book about Cancer Magic Market, like just going into the depth of it, I was just like, oh my gosh. It's a, it's a system it's, yeah. that is actually hurting people. And I think we need to get away from the idea that donating is ultimately charitable since yeah. fast fashion has become a problem. Obviously, like we have to pay attention to the consumer side of it and, you know, 
as much as we need to call for system change, we can do what we can in our own lives as well. Mm-hmm. But we need to call for corporate system change as yeah. well. Like, uh, you know, obviously as consumers, I think we, we, we should know. We should know. But a lot of these corporations are actually getting away with literal murder. Which is my next question was going to be, do you think that certain leading fast fashion brands, we won't, we can name a few, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's say Primark, Shein, H&M, Boohoo, all these lovely names. Um, do you think they will exist in an ideal world, or do you think we're going to have to abolish them altogether? I know what my answer would be. Um. <laughs> the idea that, like, you have to, like, get it at the lowest price possible is what those brands run off of. And if they don't change that, that's a model of extraction because somebody's paying the price for it. And if they don't change that model, then no, they don't get to exist in my ideal world. Mm-hmm. My ideal world, nobody feels pressured to buy 68 items of clothing a year. Mm-hmm. And in my ideal world, we raise wages for everyone because ultimately we're not in a great place ourselves. Obviously, we're in like one of the wealthiest countries in the world, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the gap between the extremely wealthy and the person who can never buy a house in London is actually an ocean. So I think we need to change a lot of these systems and also the model of outsourcing with clothing, right? Like, so currently, and a lot of people that aren't into fashion don't know this, brands don't own their own factory. They outsource the labor to the global South and nobody does that to be altruistic. They do it because there is very little responsibility for them and there's a ton of loopholes and they can exploit people. Or when a global pandemic comes, they can just walk away from all the clothing they ordered six months in advance and leave the garment workers with no paycheck. And if you're already on starvation wages, that leaves you in starvation. So that system is exploitative as it is. And um, nobody seems too keen to get away from it. And uh, if they're not willing to really change their ways, then no, they don't get to exist in my ideal world. Yeah, I think one of the most ridiculous things I ever heard was, I think it was the CEO of H&M who said that, um, like, climate and social we, justice we would, activists... We would be causing poverty. We'll be the ones causing the problem. Because people won't be buying fast fashion anymore. But, you know, a very good journalist that I really like pointed out that his business model hasn't lifted anyone out of poverty so who's the one causing poverty? Is it us or is it him? <laughs> There's five billionaires in his family. I would argue they have a little bit to spare. <laughs> do they want to give some to us as well, you know, for all huh? the hard work we've done at campaigning? I know, right? <laughs> There's also, and that's another thing. Like right now, we're obviously having really good dynamic conversations about wealth inequality. But everybody's looking at like Jeff Bezos. And don't get me wrong. Go for that guy. Go for him. Get him. But (laughs) nobody is looking at the top of the fast fashion supply chains because you will find there is a hefty bunch of billionaires there as well. And they keep talking about how their businesses are doing great things, but we are not seeing any return on that. And I also want to say ignore the corporate responsibility page because that is always a bunch of trash. It's always a bunch of trash. It's always a stock image photo of a South Asian woman smiling. And then they talk about how they built a well in one town. (laughs) But they manufacture in thousands of factories. And a great many of them have polluted rivers because of those factories. Mm -hmm. So the corporate responsibility page is always there to make you feel better about buying the clothing, but not to address the fact that their tags were found in that factory fire recently that killed people. 
They never talk about that. And that's the thing. I used to always read about these things and then I would run to the page of the fast fashion brand and go, what are they doing about this? And then I'd be greeted with this smiling stock image photo and I'd go, oh, well, they're doing something. I don't know what it is, but they're doing something, you know, and that's what it's there for. So you have to start ignoring that when a brand actually holds its hand up and goes, yeah, we were involved in this. It's horrific. But usually when the press reaches out, they have no comment, mm. but they should. I think uh, the next window I want to sit in is uh, a Primark one because I think they've got um, a new display which says empower her and it has an image of a garment worker. Oh, that is really... I'm coming for them. Do we do that tomorrow? (laughs) I know I'm supposed to do some things, but you know. of uh, wealthy people um, <laughs> something you talk about in your book and also just I admire you so much for talking about is integrity yeah and something I wanted to ask was what can we do to try and get more people to actually step up and hold that integrity whether it's influencers or celebrities or even people who do have the privilege and keep saying no it's not me I'm not part of the problem because oh that is a really tough one because honestly I I know people that do that it's (laughs) like I really don't want to have this conversation with you but it's gonna take conversations and it doesn't always have to be like you're a bad person because you bought that but more so changing how you hang out with your friends because we do use shopping in our culture as a social thing. So maybe instead of, you know, going shopping with your friend, be like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually only buying 30 items of clothing this year, um, but we should go to a museum instead. So changing the culture of our society is an important thing, but holding truth to power is important as well. Like challenging the narrative behind like social media. You know, Mm -hmm. recently we had Molly May, who was a Love Island contestant, who is now the creative director of Pretty Little Thing. When asked about all these (laughs) things. For the people listening on the podcast, Aja just rolled her eyes, which I very much respect. (laughs) When asked about the system of fast fashion and rapid turnover, which by the way is spurned on by social media 100%, she said... I don't know how we got to this place where we only wear our clothing more than once or something along those lines. This is a woman who has millions of followers and nobody is paying her to repeat her outfits. People are paying her to perpetuate this culture. So I think it's time to hold some feet to the fire there and ask people to be more honest. And it pisses me off because like my 13 year old niece looks up to this person. I'm like, why? I think that there is a lot of playing the fool sometimes with people that have platforms, because if I know how the sausage is made, the person that worked in the fashion industry for far longer than me definitely knows. And there's a lot of people with platforms that are kind of doing the whole see no evil thing. And I'm just like, don't play me for a fool because I'm not and neither are you. Also, we both know uh, people who are in a similar space to us, like how much money gets turned down if you do hold yourself with integrity. Like, and a lot down. (laughs) So have I. And I'm, I'm, you know, I've got bills to pay. I'm not... I'm not rolling in it. (laughs) I talk about living in like a London flat and I swear if I took that evil money, I'd be in a really nice house. Mm -hmm. I know I would. Your cats would have their own house. They would have have their own house and then they wouldn't even use it because that's how cats are. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I bought them like a 200 pound cat bed on Etsy from an ethical supplier. Mm-hmm. They don't even sit in it. Of course it. they don't. They sit in the cardboard box. Yeah, seriously. That's it. That's cats. They're very sustainable. Luckily. They are very sustainable. They're starting to warm up to it, but I'm just like, <laughs> what a schmuck I am. <laughs> The, the fun question, which I know all my guests really enjoy and hopefully everyone in the room will enjoy, is what would you invent in your ideal world? And it can be anything. It can be serious. It can be fun. Whatever you want. What's Arja's big invention, everyone? Drum roll. <laughs> Healthy donuts. Because <laughs> donuts aren't healthy, but they're my favorite food and I would eat them every day, all day, every day if I could. But I wouldn't say they're the most healthiest food. That's really... I'll come up with something better. I will say okay. my real answer is probably... I would say in, in an ideal world, a teleporter so that I wouldn't have to get on a plane to see my family. And I also don't like flying. I really, really do not like flying. Like finding out that flying wasn't good for the environment is like being a kid who like actually enjoys carrots. And then you realize you get bonus points for eating your vegetables. (laughs) I was like, well, I won't fly as much then because I'm terrified. (laughs) So yeah, a teleporter so I don't have to fly. Yeah, it's a good one. I also have family board, so I very much relate to that. Or just like cheaper train fares. Like, come on. Yeah. Especially for people in Europe. This is very true. Cheaper, like more frequent trains that sort of thing that yeah. would be good or as just well like free trains we're being idealistic here oh free my trains God. i demand them. i know i'm like we could just keep going with this all night yeah. we want a free train which goes all over the world in some way um and has healthy donuts on board um, well i'll also say like i one of the cool things about this country i gotta give it to you big up the nhs because i came from a country Woo! that doesn't have that it's very true it's one of those things that we would probably most definitely keep and also give let's loads fight, more let's money fight to keep and make it, it even better because i see there's there's sharks circling at all times so fight to keep it because it's a good one my last question i have here but we also might have a little bit more time to talk about more stuff yeah um what is so what well, it says one thing but what are some things now we have more time that listeners can do to help make your world uh, a reality so how can maybe not the train maybe not the healthy donuts mm-hmm. everything else yeah what can we do to get there <laughs> challenge the narrative of consumerism at all points in your life like the holiday season right like we buy so much crap in the holidays but you know what you don't have to buy new things. You can actually, my niece wanted a handbag from a designer that I don't really like, but she really wanted it. And I know how important it is for kids of a certain age to fit in. Cause I was once that age. I found her the handbag secondhand and you know what? Hers is, hers is real and all of her friends are fake. And I'm trying to slowly teach her that actually, if you go the secondhand route, you can actually access the things you really want and you don't have to go and buy, you know, something that costs $5. But if you save your money, you can get the real thing. And that actually is, it's going to stay with you for a while. And you're going to be really excited about that. So, you know, last year for, for the holidays was all secondhand. My partner got a secondhand sweatshirt, which he really likes. 
And I think we need to get away from this idea that we do newness at every turn. And we need to change the culture surrounding that because there is still quite a stigma about secondhand clothing. And I know that like, I'm in London and Londoners love to be like, oh, everybody wears it now. That's not true. We need to get rid of that stigma. It's in our culture. And I get why it's there. But we need to definitely change that. So, you know, if every person who participates in the fashion system just bought a few items secondhand, we could really start to change the way this supply chain is looking. And I think, you know, if you challenge yourself to do that and, you know, really keep track of what you're purchasing and emotional spending and stuff like that, I think Mm -hmm. that's a great place to start. You know, obviously people are like, I want, you know, what are the sustainable brands? But I think thinking about buying less is the best place to start. You know, if you need to get your 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 pants from a store that doesn't have the best supply chain, I'm not going to like show up and slap them out of your hand. <laughs> but maybe you don't need to buy like five new dresses while you're there. You know, that's that's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to like judge because it's going to be different for every person. But I think just thinking about these systems and thinking about how we spend our money and passive buying, it's a great place to start. Yeah, I found that I've ended up being like the family ethical police. Like (laughs) my brother will be like, oh, I had to buy like something from H&M or something. I'm like, why are you telling me? Like in a way, way, like I don't really want to know. Yeah. I know you know what I do. You know, I go out and I sat in their window. Like, yeah, I know you get it. Just. I'm not gonna. You do become yeah. like the guilt police. Like people will be like, oh, "It's this," and I'm like, "Okay, but how old is it?" And they're like, five years." And I'm like, like "That's okay. all right." You know, if it's if it's five years old, because I still wear the stuff in my wardrobe from that. If it still works, some of it doesn't because if it's assembled very quickly for fast turnover, it might not last you mm. five years. But for the stuff that I have, I'm still gonna wear it. I paid that money is, for that it. That's literally my approach now. If it yeah. works, I'm still gonna wear it. Like I have pajama bottoms from Primark from like exactly. ten years ago. I think the waistbands come out, but like it still works. If it still works, <laughs> you should still wear it. Like I'm not trying to be like you're a bad person for wearing that. Mm-hmm. Like nobody likes that person. That's not how we get people into the conversation. But educating people and helping to think of alternatives to like the system. That's how we form a community. And that's what I'm about at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I'll never sit up here and say that like, you know, I'm better than you because I'm wearing a suit made out of recycled fabric. Although I do feel pretty like (laughs) 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 that doesn't make me better. It just means that like, I've been looking at this for a long time, but I like to try and encourage people. And I get so excited when somebody says like, I just found this brand. They're actually really cool. And I'm excited about that. And I, I would like for us to get back to this joy of like supporting businesses that we actually want to support and we feel that we can actually believe in. Mm -hmm. Because right now I feel like fast fashions kind of suck the joy out of it. We think Mm -hmm. it's joy, but it's just dopamine. And that dissipates as soon as you get home and your mom says, how much money did you spend today? (laughs) That's like actual science, like actually. Yeah scientifically proven that it feels good at the till feels weird when you're sneaking it into your parents house at midnight (laughs) (laughs) as you left it in your car and you don't want your mom to know (laughs) also the bit about like you know christmas and stuff like that and my my, i mean really it's just an excuse now i say my presence is the present um especially (laughs) if i'm traveling to see family i'm like i'll give you a small gift and it might be secondhand but also i'm here (laughs) 
It's a great way to justify. Are we both the insufferable ones in our family? <laughs> I think maybe. Maybe just maybe. a little bit. <laughs> As we're at the Lit Fest, um, part of the, my podcast was inspired by a couple of books I read, which include The Future Earth by Eric Holthouse, which goes uh, into kind of like a fictional view of what would happen if we actually took climate action. And it's kind of realistic, but also, you know, it's an ideal world in, in one way. Um, and also All We Can Save, which is an anthology of <gasps> essays and poems. That's another book that inspired me. One of the essays talks about like how... Um, like culture and art and how having these types of conversations is really important and I, when I read that I was like okay that's the push I needed to make this podcast so I was wondering like what books other than All We Can Say which I know you also love I recommend everyone read that read? because obviously like climate emergency isn't a fun topic but there's hope there is hope the difference between one degree and two degree and the type of world that we live in it's a big difference mm -hmm. and we can still have that you know, as Ayanna Elizabeth Johnson, co-author of All We Can Save, co-editor, says, the future we want is still on the table. It's up for grabs. Mm -hmm. But we have to, like, work now. We've got to do it now. Um, All We Can Save is a fantastic one. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, you've taken my book. That's always the one I recommend. Talk about your book some more. Well, well, I'm not going to know, right? Like, got time. Well, I do actually have a book I can recommend. <laughs> Um, there's a lot of great literature out there. I mean, I also like, um, Elizabeth Klein's books are really amazing, particularly about this topic. Dana Thomas has a book called Fashionopolis. Lucy Siegel has a book. There's been a lot of people writing on this, but I think mine is, is a little bit different because it's semi-autobiographical, but it also talks about how this system impacts, you know, non-white people particularly because, mm -hmm. The thing about sustainable fashion is that it is still a relatively new idea. For a long time, we did not really truly understand how much damage the fashion industry was doing. So there's a lot of new stuff coming out every day. And it's my book has pictures. <laughs> not to not to toot my own a, horn, but I, I love a self plug as well that I worked on your gift stickers for your book. Indeed, you can, if you are... buy Aja's book and you post a picture on Instagram, you can search Aja Barber on the Instagram gift stickers and you can use them. You should buy my book, but you can actually just use them if you don't. But buy the book, please. <laughs> talk about ted yeah i'm happy for you to this like build on what we spoke about earlier amazing action that happened where yeah so holding people to account in those spaces of wealth and it is having that integrity. for us to get loud about corporate polluters because honestly this idea of like let's have a nice quiet discussion where everyone feels comfortable i don't think that everyone should feel comfortable because the damage that the fossil fuel industry has done to aid in this problem is far higher than your carbon footprint. By the way, carbon footprint, that was invented by British Petroleum to make the consumer feel more responsible. Ooh. Yeah, so the carbon footprint stuff, obviously we should all change the way we look at some of these systems we participate in, but never forget who's truly to blame for this. And it's time for people to be a lot less comfortable. Mm -hmm. If you've made a lot of money from a system that's arguably 
heating up the planet and going to take us all with it, I would say you don't get to sit on the stage and be comfortable. So at TED, there were some amazing local organizers who managed to get into the conversation and speak truth to power. And we need more of that in our society. I'm tired of the nice conversations. I want this planet to be around for the next few generations. And at the rate that we're going, it's not going to be. So it's time to hold people to account. Mm -hmm. We're past the time of comfortable conversation. And I, um, I will note that some of those organizers, I think it's a good opportunity to bring this up for anyone wanting to get engaged in the climate stuff. Some of those organizers were from a campaign called Stop Cambo. Yes. Um, Cambo is an oil field that Shell, who were at TED, um, and I can't remember the other fossil fuel company off the top of my head. Oh, Shell's got like a 30% stake, Okay, well, right? Shell are one of the big ones. They've um, got a big They're stake. pushing for this new oil field in the North Sea off of Scotland. And yes, yeah, this is not Paris Agreement stuff. Like, mm. you know, We're in a our politicians are saying they're going to meet it. But how are you going to do it with this? Like, it's obviously not in the guidelines. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's an amazing campaign. And they were some of the, the people. They, they were the people. They organized it. They they organized it. They got the message out to people like me who were attending. I would say about a fifth of the auditorium walked out with them which definitely rattled people a bit and we need more of those actions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely look up Stop Cambo and on social media and you can actually see that action as well. The thing that annoys me the most about the fossil fuel industry is that they're really good at lying. Mm -hmm. Like one of the things that he said, you know, you guys need us, you, you need us. And I'm from the US and I can tell you the fossil fuel industry has dismantled American democracy. There are towns in the US like Nashville where people that have lots of money will dismantle public transportation in cities because America is so car dependent. That has happened. There is New York Times articles about this. It is well-documented. That's the fossil fuel industry hard at work. So when the CEO of Shell says, you need us, I'm like, let's talk about that need and who created that need. Because I think a lot of Americans would like public transport, but we are rather car heavy country who did that to us because it wasn't me mm. so take your also carbon footprint of it <laughs> also linking to fashion who in here is wearing some polyester has anyone checked the tags on their clothes probably are because Do you know what polyester is who makes polyester fossil fuels ah. it is plastic <laughs> and that's something that that is a conversation because i i get it if you're not in fashion or whatever it's okay if you don't know that, but we need to understand that with the pressure that the fossil fuel industry is currently facing, they are looking to divert into different directions so that there is a use for their product. Mm -hmm. And one of them is making sure that polyester is in everything you buy. That was very deliberate. And, you know, we've always had polyester, but the rate at which you look at the tag and there's polyester and everything, that was by design. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of tie-ins. There's a lot of tie-ins, and it's important to know that. Yeah, definitely. We've covered a lot of ground, and 
I'm still thinking of that train and the healthy donuts on it. So hopefully we can uh, take that image and that can be our motivation. I can't believe that was my invention. My <laughs> Everyone who comes on the podcast is always like, I can't believe that's what it is. But like, it's you like fun. what you like. You like what we like. Exactly. I just want to say, if you didn't know a lot of this stuff, it's okay. Because the fashion industry has done a really good job of creating a web of mystery where like, the average consumer doesn't know, but you know, it's, it's good to understand these things and to also see how social media plays into it because mm -hmm. fashion has spread up and has sped up dramatically in 20 years. And so is social media. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely a connection there. Fill your feeds with people who are going against the system. Yes. Follow Aja, follow myself. <laughs> there's a lot of great people to follow, to feel inspired, who are trying to, do things a little bit differently, who recognize that there's some harm done. And if you're not feeling inspired by the people that fill your social media feed, change that. Yeah. You're in control of that. Yeah. We're not just consumers. We are citizens. We are power. citizens always. And that's what we need to get back to. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much once again for listening to this episode. Please do make sure to go onto your favorite podcast platform and give it a like or a download or a review if you're able to, as it helps other people discover these imaginative conversations and help them to envision a better world. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tolmea, which is spelled T-O-L-M-E-I-A. And you can find the podcast on Instagram at IdealisticallyPod and on Twitter at IdealisticallyPod. P. Thank you so much once again. I really hope that I'm able to bring you more live episodes in the future because it was just such a joy to record and I hope it was a joy to listen to as well. Enjoy reading Aja's book if you grab yourself a copy and I will speak to you in the next episode. Sound and editing by myself and music by Stowe Gregory. Goodbye. Nino. Yeah, pretty... If that's a cop, I say a cab. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's my podcast. It's your podcast. Um... <laughs>